Well, good morning, Redemption Tempe. It's good to be with you. My name is Jim Mullins, here with Josh Butler, co-lead pastors of Redemption Tempe, and we are here to lead us into a season, a five-week season, where we are going to press into the Word and Spirit, something we're very excited about. But before we do, we want to ask a question, a question that you can discuss with two or three people around you. And essentially, it's, when was a time when you were extremely hungry or extremely thirsty? Extremely hungry or extremely thirsty? Turn to a few people and tell them that story, and I'll bring us back in a moment. All right, let's go ahead and bring it in. It was fun to watch you answer that question. A few observations. Number one is that everyone had an immediate story. You could remember that time when you were hungry or when you were thirsty. And even as I watched you, I could see some of the like physical reaction as you, in your body, remembered what it was like to have your stomach just cramp for any little morsel of food. Or the, 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 the feeling of what it's like to be thirsty as you walk through the desert heat and you're, you're dehydrated and your mouth is dry and you just want even just like a cap of water, right? You know what that feels like. You remember that in your body. There are, there are easy signs to say that you are either starving or that you're dehydrated. But here's the thing. When it comes to our souls, to our spiritual lives, it's often not as easy to know when we are spiritually starving or spiritually dehydrated. And I would guess in this room right now, if we were to ask the question, what's the moment where you are most hungry and most thirsty in your soul that many of us would say, it's right now? Now, where do I get this? Josh and I, we have this practice of doing this, these listening sessions with people in our congregation where we'll take questions and we'll ask people in the congregation and just try to understand what, what's going on in people's lives. What are big themes? What could we do better? And one of the things that we noticed over and over again is that there is this intense saturation with media such to where you might not go an hour in the day without some sound coming towards you. Podcasts, TV shows, TikTok, Spotify playlists, the little earbuds have become an appendage to some people, like an addition to your body constantly listening for something. 
Now, it's easy for us to say, stop doing that. That's not good, right? But that's weak. The better question is to say, what's going on there? What is underneath that? And as we've listened to others, here's where we're at. Here's what we believe is going on, is that we are hungry and thirsty for a voice, for a presence, something that is always with us, that makes sense of life in a confusing world, that guides us into wisdom in the complexities of life, that comforts us when we're stressed, a presence that helps us know that we're not alone. And we want it so bad that we'll even take the voice of Joe Rogan or Taylor Swift or Mr. Beast and have them with us all day long. And as we continue to, to ask this question of people, we get the sense that you know that that's cotton candy, that that's not that satiating feast that your soul was made for. And so over the next five weeks, what we are going to do is we are going to press into a season where we as a church feast on what is better, what we are truly hungering and thirsting for. So, Josh, tell us what's on the menu. What, what are we hungering for? Yeah. yeah, we want to feast on God's word and spirit in the season. You know, one of the chief biblical images that Scripture uses to describe the word and spirit are food and drink. So, for example, in our passage for this morning in uh, Luke 4, we see that uh, Jesus says, Man uh, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in context here, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, we're told. Uh, and I love how it goes on and says, And he was hungry. And I'm like, Yeah, no duh. <laughs> he hasn't eaten for 40 days, right? Like he's on the brink of starvation. Physically, he's in the wilderness. He's being tempted by the enemy, by Satan. And yet, in the midst of all that, what Jesus is saying is, even more than I need food right now, even more than I want bread right now, my deeper hunger is for the word of God, is to actually to be dependent upon, sustained by, to live upon the word of God as the nourishment, as the bread, as the feast that I need. Uh, similarly, water is a primary image in the Bible for the Spirit. It's an image that runs throughout the biblical story. But in John 7, our other passage for this morning, we see Jesus stand up and he says, Hey, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he goes on to explain, now this he said about the Spirit. Now, in context here, Jesus is standing in the temple on the seventh day of this massive week-long festival. And so this festival, the whole nation is gathered around and they would come to the temple and they would cry out to God going, God, bring the river of your spirit again. God, bring the rivers of your presence rushing forth from the temple to the dry and thirsty land to bring us back from exile, bring us out of alienation and into your presence, bring renewal, bring restoration. And what Jesus is saying is that time is here because I am here, I have come. So come, any of you who are thirsty, come to me and I will give you the rivers of living water, which are the very spirit, the presence of God. So Jesus, big picture here, he's going, that thing that you and I are hungry for, even more than food, is the word of God. That thing that you and I are thirsty for, even more than drink, is the spirit of God. That our conviction going into this season right now is that the greater, deeper thing that we are hungering and thirsting for, that we'll try and scratch the itch with uh, food or sex or Netflix or whatever the things are, and yet there's a hunger beneath that hunger. 
there's a thirst beneath that thirst. The deeper thing that we are hungry and thirsty for is our creator, is God himself, that we are made to know and be known by him. And so this is a God who loves to feed us with his word, to nourish us and give us nurture through his word, a God who loves to satiate us with his spirit, not just some stuff he gives, but his very self and his presence. And so the title for the message this morning that we want to kick off this season with is, Are You Hungry and Thirsty? Right? Are you hungry and thirsty? That We're going to get later weeks to like how to and the practical and the whatever, but we really want to start this week with the why of going, man, are you hungry and thirsty? You tap into that deeper desire to be nourished and satiated by God. So Jim, he talked about what, what's this season going to look like? Practically, what are we going to be doing? Yeah, so we are going to spend the next five weeks. We're going to have a sermon series all about the Word and Spirit. We're going to have first Wednesday and a renewal night around the Word and Spirit. Our communities are going to be diving into these formational practices to engage Scripture and to learn how to pray. And so uh, we've created a guide for our communities and for all of us to use. There's a one of those things called QR code, squiggly weirdo thing, uh, that right there. It's also on the back of the card on, on the your card. seat when you walked in today. And, yeah. and you could use that to download that resource guide that was put together by some of the folks on our team. It's really helpful. But at the end of the day, you might be saying like, okay, are you just using fancy words to say we're going to learn how to read the Bible and pray more? Kind of, but it's more than that, Right. If you walk away from this season having just learned how to win Bible bingo games and to pray more to look spiritual and miss out on the presence of God, of encountering God, then we've missed. Because what we are aiming for in this season is that we've got five weeks before Thanksgiving comes. And that in this next five weeks, we will feast so much in God's presence through the word and through the spirit, that when it comes turkey day, all that stuff is going to look like a mere snack compared to what we've experienced in Christ. So that's what we're looking forward into this season. But there are some barriers. The things that are going to keep us from diving in over these five weeks uh, are, are, are prevalent. Like, what are the barriers that are going to keep us from immersing ourselves in word and spirit? Definitely. I'd say the biggest barriers are our suspicions, right? Like our suspicions of God's word and spirit can keep us from being hungry or thirsty. And the reality is that uh, many of us, we have suspicions because we've had bad experiences. There are times that maybe uh, we've had bad experiences with the word, maybe the way that uh, we've seen the Bible abused. And so there's been bad teaching, perhaps, or there's been a legalistic culture kind of cultivated around the Bible, or there has been uh, maybe toxic leadership supported through the Word. And so we can start talking about the Word of God and Scripture, things like that. We start to feel a little suspicious, like, I I don't know that I want to go there because there are these associations from these negative, bad experiences that we've had. And similarly for others of us, we've had negative experiences with like Holy Spirit language. We've seen it used to uh, either like manipulate people at times, like God told me da-da-da-da, and I'm like, I don't know that he said that right, Or, or to create a performative type culture where the more spiritual you are, then the more ecstatic experiences you need to have, and that means you feel like you got to conjure up some stuff that's not actually there. And so there can be times that we've had these experiences with Holy Spirit language or word stuff getting abused or misused, and that can lead us to start to feel suspicious. 
Now, the reality is those kind of experiences and suspicions are not new. Jim, we see these in Scripture even, right? Yeah, like, yeah I mean, when it comes to the abuse of the Spirit, you, you just look at Acts 8. So you go to the book of Acts, all about the work of the Holy Spirit and these amazing things are going on. Um, people are being healed, encountering God in these beautiful ways. But then you go to Acts 8. There's this guy, Simon. Uh, he's this traveling magician, sorcerer type guy. He's in this town of Samaria. And he's doing all these signs and wonders, these incredible things. Now, he's either tricking people or he's drawing on some demonic power. But then what happens is the, the apostles come into town and they proclaim the gospel and they start praying over people and laying their hands on people. And the Holy Spirit is at work and real signs and wonders are happening. Amazing things are happening. And the people who are following this little Simon guy start moving toward Christ, moving toward the, the Spirit. And Simon is pretty amped up. He doesn't see like, oh, I've lost business. He says, I see a new tool out there. How can I buy the Holy Spirit? And here's what he says in Acts 8, 18. This is crazy. He says, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He just said, hey, how can I get that Holy Spirit? I, I, that seems like a, a nice little tool that I could use in my little bag of tricks. But in verse 19, it says, he says, give me this power also so that anyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, give me this power too so that I can do the cool tricks like you guys are doing. But in verse 20, you see that it's not cool tricks. It's something real and authentic. And Peter speaks up. He says, may your silver perish with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right with God. See, there is a way to want Holy Spirit stuff, but not have a heart that's right with God. Because you're wanting to use the Holy Spirit to manipulate people, to get um, praise for yourself, to get power for yourself. And I know many of you in this room have experienced some of that, often through manipulative leaders, and one of my first encounters, one of the first times I was going to church, this is what happened to me. It was at a wedding. It wasn't even a normal church service. And I thought, these people are nice enough. They got weird clothes, but, you know, nice enough, right? Bunch of mustaches, but nice enough. <laughs> so we're there, and it's my aunt's wedding. My mom's the bridesmaid, um, or the maid of honor. And in the middle of the wedding, the pastor stops, and he looks at my mom, and he says, this morning, God told me that you are going to be saved. And so right now, you're going to have to uh, pray to receive Christ, because if you don't, your sister is going to go on her honeymoon knowing that her sister is going to hell. Would you really want to ruin her honeymoon like that? Would you, would you want to ruin this day uh, that... That, that this beautiful wedding day, and I mean, he is just turning on the manipulation under the guise that God told him to do that. Now, my mom, she's a tough cookie. She dropped some, very, some savory language right there in the middle of church, and she walks out the, the back door, walks past us where we're sitting on the, the pew, and she's like, get over here. And then we had to w walk out and leave too. 
But for so long, this was the main taste that I had of Christians and the main barrier for me even wanting to be around Christians or hear anything that they had to say. And the reality was, is it wasn't, my problem wasn't with the Holy Spirit. My problem was with someone who was manipulating and using Holy Spirit language to give themselves power. And I know that that's not just my experience. It's your experience as well. And many of us, we've kind of moved from that and stepped into a world where people were really loving Scripture, and it was formative in their life. And it could bring this mindset that says, oh, well, it's about the Word and not the Spirit. The Word is where God really is, not, not the Spirit. But friends, that is not right. If we're going to take Scripture seriously, we can't just edit out the Holy Spirit from the Bible, right? And your suspicions of that and your hurt from that, that's real. But we've got to press into it and say, what does it look like for us to engage the real Holy Spirit and not let the people who've been manipulative define things? So you, many of you have seen manipulation, uh, the person who says, God told me that we're supposed to be dating right now. <laughs> the performative stuff where the most dramatic experiences show how spiritual you are. Or just the pure foolishness, the person who just quits their job because they ate burritos that day and thought that that was the Spirit saying to quit their job. And doesn't seek wise counsel, doesn't take the commands in Scripture to take care of your family seriously. And, 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 and that is not where the reality is. That is the caricature that's formed by people who have been abusing the, the good gift that God has, has given. And it's, this doesn't just happen with the spirit stuff. It also happens with word stuff. And you've had some of those experiences. Totally, yeah. That others of us have had experiences that leave us suspicious around the word. And that's nothing new either. We see that in Luke chapter 4, our passage this morning, that Satan actually twists scripture. Uh, that he is his next temptation, after the temptation for turn these stones to bread that we looked at a minute ago, his next temptation, he takes Jesus up to this high place and he tells him, hey, throw yourself off the Temple Mount and God will save you. God will rescue you if you're really the Messiah. And what he does is he quotes scripture. He quotes Psalm 91 and says, because God said, hey, he won't let your foot hit a stone. Like he'll command his angels concerning you. He'll, they'll lift you up. And so what Satan is doing here, he's quoting scripture at Jesus, but he's misusing it and is essentially trying to get Jesus to commit suicide. He's going, hey, suicide or salvation here. Jump from the rocks and trust God to catch you. And he's manipulating, abusing, misusing scripture with Jesus. He's twisting it to his own nefarious ends. And I believe that maybe for some of you here this morning, like you've had people misuse scripture similarly in your life, that it's left a bad taste in your mouth, like a rotten food or something versus the glorious feast that it's meant to be. And I had uh, my own experience like this. So when I was in college, when I first started following Jesus, I went to this campus group, and it was a campus group that tended to be a little, uh, in retrospect, I can see now it was a little legalistic, kind of a bit of a legalistic culture. So I said, hey, I want to follow God. How do I do this? And what they said was, well, hey, Scripture says to worship, and you do some music, so why don't you lead worship at our weekly gathering? I'm like, all right, I don't know that I'm a Christian yet, but okay. So I'm like, leading worship. And I still felt empty. So I'm like, okay, well, now what? And they're like, well, are you praying? We have scripture says to pray, and we have a 6 a.m. prayer gathering. So I'm getting up at 6 a.m. All right, this, this will show God I'm serious about him. 
Still empty. Now what? They're like, well, hey, are you reading your Bible? We have a Thursday night Bible study. And Scripture says you should be reading your Bible. And then Scripture says you should be sharing your faith. Are you sharing your faith? And so I get a stack of tracts and I'm, you know, evangelism, you know, on campus kind of thing. And it's not that those things were bad, but there was this legalistic culture where it's like, hey, Scripture says, so I started doing all this stuff. And yet the irony was the more stuff I was doing for God, the more distant God seemed. And there was kind of this scripture being used to cultivate kind of a legalistic approach to God in my life that actually left me really dry and hungry and thirsty and going, God, I don't know if this is working. I don't know that you're here. But I had this catch-22. I didn't want to let my new friends down. So I just kind of kept up all the religious activity, but felt like God was nowhere to be found. So that summer, I go on this mission trip to Japan. And I'm like, okay, this will show God. I'm all in. Right? I'm going on the mission trip. That'll fix it. So I go to Japan, and while I'm there, uh, I go to the, uh, the church there with a Japanese friend of mine that I met. And, um, and at the church there, it's like a charismatic, like a, a vineyard church. And, and at the end, they're inviting people who can come forward for prayer. And I'm like, dude, I need prayer because I just feel like, whatever, God's gone, distant. And so I'm going up, and as I go up for prayer, I see people are like falling down and stuff, you know, and I'm like slain in the spirit, if you're familiar with that, you know. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fall down. You know, so I kind of, you know, gird up my, my legs, and I'm ready and, and whatever. And yet I'm like, I need prayer, so I'm going for prayer. And so I'm, this guy starts praying for me, and next thing I know, like, boom, bam, flat on my back, this dude from Africa who's like praying over me, and he's just like reading my mail and speaking into the deepest depths of my, my heart, you know, stuff you wouldn't know, and God knows it. And then, uh, and I just had this radical encounter with the presence of God, the Spirit of God. And after that, the campus group I was with was like, hey, don't go to that church, they're charismatic, that's a badger, you know, and I'm like, dude, I've been experiencing just dryness and thirst for the last year, and now I encountered the presence of Jesus, and yeah, and, and then that next year, I started having these experiences of like uh, the prophetic or healing or tongues or things, that, and I just like, oh, maybe this is just normal, right? Normal part of faith. Uh, and yet, what I think you hear in each of our stories is that, uh, similar to how, Jim, you had this like negative experience with the Spirit, and you found this great comfort in the Word. I went through a season of having this negative experience with the Word and starting to have this real comfort with Holy Spirit stuff, but starting to be suspicious at times of... Uh, is this going to be like the legalistic Bible thumper thing, you know, like with the, with the word. And over time, what God had to do was really cultivate a, a, a bringing together both word and spirit in, in my life and our life. And I know for some of you, you as well have maybe had experiences where the word of God has been used to cultivate like a legalistic environment for you or to perhaps justify uh, things where it's been treated like an oppressive rule book rather than a life-giving story for the world. Again, that it may be a, it's associated with almost like more bad taste in your mouth versus the delicious feast of encountering Christ in this story that ultimately speaks to you and points to him. Yeah, and so if that's you, you know, uh, either on the spirit side or the word side, uh, you've had these negative experiences and it's led to these suspicions. What we want to do today is we want to honor your experience but we want to challenge your suspicion, right? We want to honor your experience. But we want to challenge your suspicion and invite you as we prepare to step into the season to really invite you to hunger and thirst, to tap into that desire for God. We want all of you, the real you. God, we want your word. We want your spirit. We want you. And so, um, yeah, Jim, what does that look like? So over the next five weeks, um, <clears throat> we're going to hit a number of different 
things. And our tendency is going to be, I tend to lean towards the word, so I really want to lock in with the word week. Or I tend to lean towards the spirit, and I want to lock in with that. But here's what we want to challenge you. Don't do that. There is a cynicism, where the cynicism is, is the place where you actually need to feast the most. Identify where that hunger is, where that cynicism is, and actually address it and let that be the place that you emphasize over the season. So let me name the different weeks that we are going to go through. And you've got a little card here that lists them out, starting with week two, because you're currently in week one. Um, but... What I want you to do is, as we're reading through this, just circle the one that you feel like you need to lock into the most. It says that you need to attend the most. You need to attend all of them, but we're actually realists, and we know you go to like uh, Flagstaff and football and games and stuff like that. So, but identify the one. So next week is going to be the Word and Spirit in community. So often when we think of Word and Spirit, we think of it as this individual endeavor where it's just me and God, but the reality is, is that it's us together feasting at the table as a community. And what does it look like for a community to help both nourish you in the Word and Spirit and also test the different things that you're sensing? Uh, the next week, week three, is listening to the Word. Of What does it look like? What, what is the Word and how do we feast on the word? How do we listen to God's address to us through the word? Week four is listening to the spirit, which is the, uh, how do we be attentive to the spirit throughout the day, throughout our lives, and, and not have the spirit be just this distant thing or this thing for church only, but how do you really discern in your life, day in, day out, how the spirit is leading and guiding and speaking? And then week five is listening in action. This is kind of the how week. Now, how is not the most important question. Why and who are most more important. But how is actually an important question. As we did the listening sessions, we realized one of the reasons why we're turning to Taylor Swift and Mr. Beast is because of the ease of entry, whereas sometimes it's hard to know how to sink our teeth into the word and, and the spirit. So identify which one of those weeks is most uh, needed for you right now uh, and then lock into that week. So Josh, we're going to do these next five weeks. Why is this important? Like, tell us, why is this not just fancy Bible and prayer uh, techniques? Great. Yes, this is so important because our God is word and spirit. Right, like word and spirit. These are not just uh, gifts God gives. It's not just stuff God does. It's who God is. That when we talk about the word and spirit, we're talking about the second and third person of the Trinity. That God is a triune God, and the word and spirit are uh, part of persons in the triune life of God. Right. So, um, so as we're talking about this, we intentionally did not call it kind of the Bible and prayer season. Right. Even though we're going to do a lot of digging into the Bible, and we're going to do a lot of digging into prayer, but we didn't call it that because that would emphasize kind of our activity and action and those kind of things, whereas like, yeah, we're going to do those things, but we wanted to set first and foremost in front of our attention and our gaze who God is, like what the goal of those activities are, is to encounter and to commune with God. So let's talk about that for a moment. God is word and spirit. Uh, God, we see this in Scripture, that God creates the world through his word and spirit. 
So if we go all the way back to Genesis 1, page 1 of the Bible, that uh, one of the first things we read is that the Spirit of God, the Ruach or the breath, the Spirit of God was hovering over the chaos, over the darkness, over the waters, like a catcher's mitt ready to receive the incoming Word of God. And so the Spirit's there. And then how does God create? Well, it says, and God said. God spoke creation into existence. And so, and God said, let there be light. And like a refrain throughout Genesis 1 is, and God said, and it was. And God said, and it was. And it got said, it was. And so God speaks creation into existence through his word. So what we see here is that God creates the world through his word and his spirit. Uh, I love Irenaeus, the early church father. Uh, He talked about how uh, the word and spirit were like the two hands of God, always with God in every activity he does. So it's not like sometimes God does stuff with his word, other times with the spirit. It's like, no, they're together. God's always doing it through both. And so we see this in Psalm 33, verse 6, where it's reflecting on creation and saying, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath or the spirit, it's the same word, ruach, by his breath or his spirit uh, of his mouth, all their starry hosts. So again, it's going, God created the world through his word and spirit. These are like his two hands with him, that everything that he does. But it doesn't stop there. God also redeems the world through his word and spirit. God redeems the world through his word and spirit. And in the gospel, the word became flesh, John 1 tells us. And what we find in John 1, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, is that the word of God, the very word through whom God spoke all creation into existence, the very word of God through whom he's sustaining all of us here in this room right now, that that word became flesh, took on flesh and bone in Christ for our salvation that the heart of the gospel is the word who became flesh for our salvation, and that Jesus, he goes to the cross, he dies, and he rises again. And why does he do it? To pour out his spirit. That he has gone to the cross and risen victorious, not just to like say, all right, see you guys, but actually to give us of his very presence, the third person of the Trinity, to pour out the presence and spirit of God in our lives as his people. And so when we find the very nature of salvation... It's triune. It's, it's Trinitarian. It's, to salvation is to be filled with the Spirit of God within us, who unites us to Christ the Word before us and brings us into the household of the Father over us. That there's a triune-shaped salvation. And so when we're talking about the Spirit and the Word here, we're talking about encountering God the God of the gospel. And so our goal in this series is to, this season, is to go deeper in life with God. That we are going to do Bible reading, engaging with scripture, but the goal of Bible reading, as Jim said, it's not just being able to win Bible trivia quizzes or whatever kind of thing, right? Like, like the goal of engaging the story of scripture is to encounter more deeply the person of Jesus, right? The word. The goal of spiritual practices is being formed and shaped by the spirit is to actually be a people um, who are cultivated and shaped by God's Spirit, His presence. Now, if God is Word and Spirit, if the, we're talking about the triune God here, then what this means is that if we try and separate those two, if we try and separate the Word from the Spirit without the Spirit, or if we try and separate the Spirit without the word, it's going to lead to some dangers and some problems in our spiritual life, right? Um, Jim, can you talk about what are the dangers that happen when we, we kind of separate and just try and take one or the other? Yeah, it's, it's if we're, we're sticking with the food analogy, it's like the extreme diets of the day. 
that try to say, look, only eat beef and salt, and that'll solve all of your autoimmune problems. Or the other ones that's like, you know, I, I don't know, you know, only eat vegetables that are orange. Or There's just extreme diets that are cutting out different parts. And if you push into those long enough, you'll be malnourished. And there are ways that we get malnourished when we try to separate the word and spirit. And so as we were wrestling with, how do we describe this? How do we describe the different ways that this malnourishment looks, the different types of people, we, we kind of put together a spectrum to help describe. Now, some of this is a little bit of a stereotype, and not everyone fits squarely in it, but it kind of helps create some categories. So we've got this word and spirit spectrum here. So you've got the word on the left side, the spirit on the right side. And really what we're aiming for is that center where the word and spirit are together, not 50-50, but 100-100, just feasting on both. But there's a tendency for us to do one or the other. So if we start with the word, we'll start with the extremes. So on the word side, the extreme, you could call that the stick-in-the-mud person, right? This is the person who's all about the word but not about the spirit, and it tends to show up with dry legalism, suspicion against any sort of emotion or any experience with God. This person may know a lot of Bible verses, but you don't get the sense that they know God. If you look at their face, there's a lot going on mm -hmm. with the eyebrows. The furrowed brow. Furrowed brow. They're on the hunt. Quick to point the finger. Um, very fun people to hang out with, actually. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> on the other side, you have the flags and snakes. And now I'm not talking about the don't tread on me flag or anything like that. Sometimes people get that confused. But talking about in these extreme like Pentecostal experiences where it can be sort of performative and you, people will even have like snakes and like poisonous snakes and trying to not get trying to handle, yeah, trying good, to handle yeah. snakes and uh, it's all about the experience usually an authoritative leader their words and what they're hearing from God can be elevated above scripture and in this they gauge the spiritual maturity in the spiritual ranking based on how dramatic your experiences are yeah like i got a few buddies internationally like uh, different nations you know who will use flags and i'm not saying that's always wrong or horrible but what we're saying is like man there's a, a a culture at times that can be cultivated where it's like man the more spiritual you are the more extreme you're kind of yeah you got to do the wild ecstatic stuff to show and prove how spiritual you are in some totally and so those are the two extremes and i don't think we have a lot of people in this church who fit into those extremes if you do, you're probably not going to like it here for long. So, um, but what we do have is we do have people who are one notch in, who don't try to like get rid of the word and spirit, but maybe devalue one and elevate another. So if, starting with the word side, you've got, um, or actually starting with the spirit side, you've got the God told me person. This is a person who reads the Bible, but... But they're always talking about how God told them to do this, to do that. And often it could be manipulative or subjective or not accountable to Scripture or the testing that comes through community. And generally, the characteristic of this is that the Spirit is all about them, not about building up the body of Christ, but all about what, what did God tell me to do. In this. So th these are things we mentioned earlier. The God told me that we're going to get married, so you have to date me type of person. Yikes. The, yeah. The, 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 uh, the person who, um, who quits their job, who's just like, God told me to quit my job. 
never sought any counsel, never reflected on what God calls us to, to care for our family and those sorts of things. So that's, that's the, the God told me uh, category. And then the next one, the one that we also have in the congregation is the edge of the pool. Now, you may say, what do you mean by that? You may be less of a coward than I am, so you may not know this experience. But when I was a kid, I, and it was time for us to swim, all the other kids figured out how to swim pretty quickly. But I was that guy who sat at the edge of the pool. I was in the water, but I was like scooting along the edge as all the other kids had the fun in the deep end. Like, I believe that looks fun. That could be a good time, but yeah. I don't know that I trust it yet. Yeah, actually. yeah. Like, I know there's the sharks in there somewhere, so I'm going to stay at the edge of the pool. And this is often a very suspicious posture towards the Holy Spirit. It's passive. It, it, it ignores the, the biblical call to ask, seek, and knock, or the, to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Generally, this person believes that God can do things, can speak to us, but would kind of prefer if he didn't. Because <laughs> they're a little embarrassed by some of the extreme things that happen and just don't trust what that's going to look like. So that's the edge of the pool. And those two there, those two on the inside, I think we have a lot of people in this room who lean in those different directions and need to take a step either towards the word or towards the spirit to bring them together. Because that's what we're aiming for. The word and spirit are meant to be together. They can't be separated. You become malnourished if they're separated. You can't fully engage the word without the spirit illuminating what the passage is saying and, and, and sensing God leading you into certain texts and applying it to your life. You can't really have the spirit without the word because the spirit is how we test and see, is this really, or the word is how we test and see, is this really from the spirit? Because the spirit is what gave us the word and isn't going to contradict the word. They need to be together. And when they are together, we are nourished. Now, Josh, you, you want to just take a stab at this? You want to say where, where we're at? On yeah, the, totally. To... So, so I'm somewhere. I need a little red dot pointer or something. You know, like, like I'd say I'm, I'm somewhere in between probably like the word and spirit and the God told me. You know, I probably lean, lean a little bit in towards, towards that side. Yeah, how about yourself? I, I would be the exact opposite. Exactly. The, the edge of the pool, leaning toward word and spirit. But I'm going to tell you something right now. I don't think Josh is right. I'm going to call him out. I actually think Josh is one of the best examples I've seen of someone who deeply in their daily life just delights in God's word and is attentive to the spirit. So uh, you're, you're nice by saying that you're over there, so there's balance, but I think that this is a good example. Um, but all, here's what I want to say. For those of us who lean in these directions, let's commit to one another that our life with God is going to be more important to us than our suspicions. And that we're going to walk with one another and help each other take those steps toward the both and. Mm, yes. And I think that raises the question for you this morning to maybe ask and reflect, where are you on this spectrum here? You know, uh, as we mentioned on your seat, there are these cards and we want to invite you to uh, even maybe circle where you sort of plot yourself and maybe take some time this week to journal to reflect on that or to bring it before God in prayer. Uh, just kind of where am I at on the spectrum and maybe to reflect on what are the experiences behind potentially my suspicions with either side. I think it'd be a really healthy process to name those this week and to bring them before God. Again, like in 
journal or in prayer. And I think there could be some of us today, you know, maybe you lean a little bit on the word side and uh, you're thinking, oh my gosh, we're talking about the spirit. We're becoming like Pentecostal here and what you've got kind of the flags and snakes in mind or some experiences you had in the past. And that's not what we're saying. You know, we want to invite you into the series that we can kind of bring clarity and clarify. Uh, And there may be others of you who are kind of lean a bit on the spirit side and you're kind of going, okay, the word thing and now we're going to start another like a, you know, we're going to do a, a, a Bible in a year reading thing and I'm going to get stuck in Leviticus and I'm going to feel horrible all year because I can't like do the actual thing and every time we talk about it all the off track and it's like oh no that's not what we're saying here like the invitation that we want to just start with this morning is to go dude we want to be hungry and thirsty to go deeper in life with God and we need this season and this series I believe to help bring some clarity it's not supposed to we're launching some new thing or become something different or a lot of it's going to be to clarify uh, and bring clarity to uh, things that we already do, but we want to provide vehicles and intentionality to go deeper together as a community in word and spirit together. And so I believe the reality is, man, we want to be a word and spirit church, right? Like to try and cast some vision. What are we aiming for as we go into this? We want to be about both the word and the spirit. We want to be about Bible and prayer. We want to be about head and heart, thinking and feeling. We want to be about uh, right teaching about God and a rich experience of God, right? We want to be about both form and fire, if you will, about both justification by faith and also about signs and wonders, right? We want to be about the person of the king and the presence of his kingdom, right? And so we want to be about word and spirit because we want to be about God, yeah. And so our starting point for today, just the invitation, is simply this. We want to invite you to hunger and thirst. Right? As we step into the season to hunger and thirst, when you go back to Matthew 4, where Jesus was, or uh, Matthew 4 and Luke 4, where Jesus is saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What he's saying is, man, deeper than your hunger for food is our hunger for God, your word, that in a world of competing stories, we need your word to give us the true story of the world. In a world of lies, of experiences that lie to, about us, lie to us about the nature of God, the purpose of life, the meaning of the world, where we fit and all that, we need, God, your word to bring the truth that sets us free. And similarly, in John 7, where Jesus says, hey, anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink, and I will give you my spirit like a river of living water. He's saying, deeper than your thirst for drink and all the other things we go to to satiate that thirst, deeper than that is a thirst for our maker for the presence of God. And the invitation is that we would actually uh, come before God and as Jim said, to ask and seek and knock and not just get into kind of the dry routines and going through the motions of religion or whatever, but actually that God, we would cry out going, Jesus, we're hungry and thirsty for you, for your presence. We want to know you more and go deeper in life with you. So the opening question for the season this morning is simply, are you hungry and thirsty? Jim, how can we step into that question? So, so as we close, I want to give you a moment to reflect and to pray and to just sense what is God's invitation to you in this season. I'll give you a, a couple of, of ways you can think about it. Think of it through the lens of fasting. What needs to be taken away in order to make more space to feast with Jesus? So this could be taking a day or a meal where you say, 
I'm not going to eat. And any time where I would eat, I'm just opening up that space to be with God. I'm going to open up the scriptures. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be with him in, in that time. It could be uh, the question of, of not just fasting from food, but fasting from noise. Maybe you need to fast from screens or podcasts, not to just have some legalistic, I did a good thing that all the rest of the people aren't doing, but to just make space to listen to God. Maybe there's not just fasting, but asking the question of feasting. How is God inviting you to proactively feast on the Word and Spirit this week? For some of you, it's taking steps to go deeper into the Word. So the first few weeks of the resource guide that we have um, have some really good Bible study approaches that can help you actually just get into the Word and, and sink your teeth in there. Others say, I need to press into listening to the Spirit and might want to go to that resource guide and go on to, to week seven, where there's a week where it's, it's all about listening prayer and listening to God. And so the question is, what is the invitation? What is the invitation to the feast that God is extending to you? So what we're going to do as we close is we're just going to take a few moments now of silence, and we're going to just let you be with God to listen and to, to sense what that invitation is. If nothing is clear right now, in this moment, Jesus still exists and he's still present at 3 p.m. You can go back and continue to pray. But I, we do want to just make sure we're not walking out of here without a little bit of space to say, God, what is the next step? What are you inviting me into? So go ahead and take a moment now of silence and prayer. And in a moment, uh, Josh will bring us back together. Well, as we come to the table this morning, we come to a table, right? Like, it's fascinating to me that Jesus invites us to 
food and to drink, that uh, he doesn't invite us necessarily to come up to a page of doctrinal bullet points to sign off on. He doesn't invite us to a ecstatic experience to necessarily have like that this morning we come to what Jesus invites us to, which is a feast. And it may seem like that, you know, little cracker and this wine or juice, or whatever, it may not seem like much. And yet the God that it is a sign of is able to meet our deepest hunger, to satiate and quench your deepest thirst. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, this table is for you. And I want to invite us to come today in a posture of worship, as we're seeing all a posture of worship, but also a posture of hunger and thirst, that we would come to the presence of God going, Jesus, I need you. I want to receive from you. I want to go deeper in life with you. I want to feast on your word and your spirit in the season ahead. And so uh, as we prepare to come to the table this morning, would you join me in prayer? God, thank you that you are word and spirit, Lord, that you don't just give us some stuff, God, that you delight to give us yourself. And so in the season ahead, God, we declare this morning that we are hungry and thirsty, Lord. In a world of so much cotton candy, God, stuff that can taste delicious, but uh, it can be fun, but doesn't necessarily have the deeper nutrients and things that we need for deep nourishment and life and health, God. Uh, we want to come to you and feast on you. And so we declare this morning, Father, that deeper than our hunger for food and deeper than our thirst for water and the different things that we seek and turn to to try and satisfy us, God, even deeper beneath those things, God, is our hunger and thirst for you, our creator, our maker. So, God, we want to ask, we want to seek, we want to knock, we want to be a both and a word and spirit church, God, that looks to you and seeks to grow into the fullness of what you would have for us by feasting on your presence and doing life deeply together with you, God. It's in your name, Jesus, and for your glory that we pray. Amen.